If you have a Bible, I want you to turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy is in the Old Testament, so you have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's the fifth book of the Bible uh, in the Pentateuch. It's another word we use about the, these first several books of the Bible. So if you have a Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Uh, today we're going to transition. We've been talking about marriage the past three weeks. Today we're going to talk about parenting. And I know some of you, you're like, well, I'm a child, so like, this doesn't apply to me, or I don't have any children. I believe there's a lot of principles that we can take from this message specifically today and apply it to all of our lives, whether you're a toddler or all the way up to the oldest person uh, in the room. And so I want, uh, I want us to approach this topic uh, and learn and see how, what is it that God is teaching us through His Word. So if you have a Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 6. But I want to ask this question. Have you ever like really thought about what, it, what does it mean to be a parent? Like what is like a, a definition of parenting? Because I believe that the definition is actually really, 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 really important is understanding what does it mean to be a parent? Is, does, does it mean that all of a sudden you now have children? So now I'm naturally, I'm a parent because I have kids in my home that I'm responsible for. Well, I already used the word there, responsible. So is there a responsibility that comes with parenting? What are the, what's the role? What are we supposed to do? What, is the, what, what actually is the goal? Is it to keep them alive? <laughs> like, maybe keep them alive, keep them fed, Keep them clean, keep, them, keep their hygiene up a little bit. Hopefully one day they'll learn to put deodorant on, brush their teeth, and they should be able to be successful in sight if they can at least do those two things, right? Um, and so what does it really mean to be a parent? Uh, one definition, uh, it says this, the process of raising children and providing them with protection and care in order to ensure their healthy development into adulthood. So while they're a child, you're trying to help them in that transition period to become an adult. And so you're raising children. You're teaching them to be responsible. You're teaching them how to make wise choices. You're training them. You're helping them. You're feeding them at first. And eventually you're hoping they can feed themselves. We have those conversations in our house. Like, I mean, eventually you're like, okay, like you're really hungry. You can, there's, there's a fridge right there. There's a pantry there. Like you can figure this out. Like we're teaching them some responsibility. Like we don't have to make every meal for you or make every snack for you. You can get your own snack every once in a while. Like go in there. Here, here's how you open the wrapper. Okay, here you go. Like, no, you can do these things. So you're taking care of them. But I want to ask this question. Is the, the Christian parent, I guess, the Christian parent definition the same? Because we, we, were, we were arguing, really, when we talk about marriage and family, first of all, this was designed and instituted by God when He designed marriage. Government didn't make up the concept of marriage. Two random people, like Adam and Eve, for instance, did not come up with the idea of marriage. No, God designed it and said, it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make him a helper fit for him. And so naturally, these two become one. He talks about the becoming one of flesh, literally and physically and emotionally and spiritually, all ways of becoming one. There's this aspect that God has designed it. And then he tells the two people to be fruitful and multiply. Literally, have children, raising a family. There's a lot of verses on the family, but there's not a lot of like, hey, here's what, it's, what exactly it's supposed to look like. We get lessons on fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, to wrath. That's in Ephesians chapter 6. We've been in Ephesians 4 and 5 over the past few weeks. Uh, we look in the, the, the song, or uh, in, in Proverbs, over and over again, we see the teachings of Solomon 
who's bringing his wisdom to his children, to his sons, and he's saying, hey, here's some lessons to learn along life's way. All of these things matter, but yes, I think there's aspects that are important to parenting that apply to every single person. But if God designed it, then there must be a God way to parent. There must be, and that must be the right way to parent. And so the Christian's view of life naturally is different. The Christian believes that we are created to live forever. That we, from conception, have a soul inside of us that is going to last for all of eternity. It has a beginning point, but does not have an end point. You see, the, the Christian's view of life is very different in that way. And so think about this. If, if stretched out a timeline of eternity, it would go forever. And you're like, okay, Eric, thanks for teaching us that. I understand the concept when you say timeline of eternity, that means forever. Well, yes. But if you think of a timeline, it has a beginning point, but it just keeps going. Think of how long that gets, and it just keeps going. But let's just do a chunk of time. Let's say 10,000 years. Let's do a timeline of 10,000 years. Say your child is going to live for 10,000 years to kind of put it in some some terms that we can grasp, but even 10,000 years we cannot really fully grasp. But stretch that out. You probably couldn't even see the tiny beginning stages that children are in our homes. Children usually, typically in an average home, is going to be in your home for about 18 years. Put that on a timeline of a 10,000-year line. That is, it's microscopic. You wouldn't even see it. It's so tiny. The short brevity of time that we have of parenting our child. Yes, you're an aspect of parenting your whole life. As you, as, but there's transition stages of, of parenting and very involved, very, very involved. Like, they need you. I mean, I think of a baby in the back right now. Like that, that child is not going to survive without her mom and her dad providing for, for him. Like, there's, like, he's very, very needy. Children, even, even, even 10-year-olds can be very needy as well. Teenagers sometimes too, right? And, and so, but naturally they're needy, but those, needy, but those, those times transition a little bit. But think about just these 18 years. And how quick that goes. My, my oldest is 13, and you're like, that's five years away. He's going to be heading off to college. In just a few years, he's going to have his license. Some of you who have older children, or you, you know how quickly it goes. And all of a sudden, they get married, and all of a sudden, they're starting to have children. And you're like, what happened to the time? But think about that, that short amount of time. The reality is that you and your kids will live far beyond 10,000 years. And you only have about 18 years to significantly influence that destiny. We only have this brief moment to parent well. And as William Farley explains so well in a, in a great parenting book that he wrote on gospel-centered parenting, he says this, Christians parent with one eye on eternity. I think that is really, really rich. Just one simple phrase. He says, Christians parent with one eye on eternity. You see, the Christian's definition of parenting could be stated as this, as the process of transferring our faith in Christ to the next generation. Obviously, there is providing care and safety, training to our children to be able to be successful in life, to learn hard work ethics, to learn how to read and write and different things to be able to be successful in this society. But listen, don't miss this. The Christian's view, though, their, their main goal should be to transfer faith from generation to generation. 
This should be our goal. This should be our aim. This should be get our highest priority. But if we don't do everything in our power to accomplish the first, we've missed the mark. Here's the reality. We can't save our children. Only God can do that. But we can greatly influence their hearts to respond to the gospel. This is why Deuteronomy 6 is so fitting for us to study over the next few weeks. We're going to lay, lay here for three weeks in Deuteronomy 6 and see how there is this passing on of a next generation. So if you have a Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 6. I told you to turn there and I didn't myself. So here we go. Deuteronomy 6, starting in verse 4. This is the Shema that the Israelites, uh, a devout Israelite would, would, would quote this, recite this a couple times a day, daily, continuously re- repeating these phrases here. And I want you to read with me in this passage. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Verse 6, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. There's a connection of knowing the truth of God's word and letting it sink deeply into our heart. It should be on our heart, not just on our lips, not just a statement to proclaim, but a, a, a belief, a truth to resonate deeply into our heart. And he says, these shall be on your heart. Verse 7, you shall teach them diligently. To your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house. You should be talking about it in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. I'm going to stop there for our passage this morning. Did you hear what happens there? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words that I command you today shall be impressed on your heart. But what are you going to do with it? You're going to pass it on. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you, are on, when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, so when you're sitting around, what are you going to talk about? Let's talk about sports. Let's talk about education. Let's talk about the news. What about conversations about Scripture? When you sit down, when you are in a car ride, you know, most of us, maybe you go on a walk. This morning, we, our, our boys and I, we, we pass this guy on our way to church every time. This guy is persistently walking. It's impressive. And I, I've always noticed him walking in our neighborhood, on our street. And then all of a sudden, I got on the main road of Hamilton Mill, and I'm like, wait, there's the same guy. He's still walking. This guy walks all over the neighborhood. But can you imagine if he had his son with him? Can you just picture his son is with him or his daughter is with him, and they're on this walk, and they both have headphones on, and they're just walking together, but there's no, no conversation. You're just walking down the road. You're listening to your own thing. You're listening to music, whatever, and you're just walking down. What an opportunity, Right? Think about it. You might, some of you, take your children to school. On your car ride to school, what could, how could that be a conversation? Or you're on a road trip, you could have conversations about Scripture. We're going to talk about those things here in the next few weeks, about practical ways of investing in this next generation, into our children. We can do these things, but you see the importance of transitioning and transferring uh, our faith to the next generation. 
I want to give you a warning before we jump into the points of our message this morning. But if you just were to turn a few pages, you don't have to do that, but if you just turn a few pages and you go to Deuteronomy 6 and you keep going and you get to Joshua, you get to the end of Joshua, the people of Israel have entered into the promised land. They're trying to keep God as number one in their life. They're They're having no other idols before them. They worship the Lord. The Lord our God is one, and we love the Lord our God with all our heart. Some of the most darkest words, the most painful words you can read are when you open up Judges, in the book of Judges, in chapter 1, and you read, the next generation did not know the Lord. And what do we see? If you read Judges, Judges is very dark. It's a lot of people wandering away. Drifting away, and a generation goes without knowing the Lord. So what happened? What happened, and how do we make sure that our children get to the next level? How do they respond to the gospel? We can't make them, right? Like, you can't force it on your children. You can guide them. You can lead them to the gospel. You can do different things. But what is it that is one of the most essential things that you can do in the transferring of your faith? And that's our topic for this morning, and that is modeling Christ in your home. And so, again, as we look at our passage this morning, our first point is this, and I want you to see this, is how can we pass this faith down to the next generation? One, it starts this. You love your family by first loving God. You love your family first by loving, by first loving God. I've seen this picture, and this applies to marriage, but if you ever think about a triangle, if you think of this triangle here, and you have a husband and a wife here, and you have God at the top, I want you to just picture a triangle. So if you have a triangle here, you have a husband and a wife here. And as they get closer to God, look how if they were going up the triangle, if the husband is working his way towards God, if you will, and the wife is growing closer to God, guess how they're getting? They're getting closer together the further they get to God. You see, the, the closer you are to God, the closer you can be to your other relationships. See, in Matthew 22, Jesus said, so a teacher asked Jesus a question. They asked him, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? How did Jesus respond? He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And he said, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That, he says, is encompassing the entire law of the Old Testament. The whole Levitical system, all of the law can be summed into love God with all your heart. If you are loving God with all your heart, you will naturally love others. And if you're loving others above yourself, Guess what you're doing? To be able to do that well, you're going to first be loving God with all your heart. You see, love your family first by loving, love your family by first loving God. Your children, listen to this, I want you to hear this, your children will learn how to love God by the way that you love God. You see, your children are going to see how much you love God and how much how you love your spouse. They observe and they pick up on everything. Uh, for those of you that have the toddler stage and it's early on, right, like they might, they, they're, they're, they're already picking up some of your manner, mannerisms and different things like that. But they maybe aren't mimicking what you say. But as they start talking, guess what they start doing? They repeat what you say. You, if you get upset and you respond in anger and you say a word you maybe shouldn't have said, guess what? If child is nearby and hears it, guess what? Not long after, you're going to hear that child say the same thing that you said. And you're going to be like, son, I can't believe you would say that. Where'd you learn that? Dad, <laughs> right? They pick up on these things. They, they notice these things. But your children will learn how to love God by the way that you love God. So I want to ask you a question. These, these sting a little bit because they sting in my heart. 
Yes, I'm a pastor, but not at all perfect. Let me ask you, what are your priorities? What are your personal priorities? Are you reading the Bible? Are you praying? Do you attend church? You're here today. Thank you. They can tell by watching you what is important in your life. Let me ask you this. What time in your week is set aside for spiritual development? What are you doing? I mean, here are some examples. Maybe reading your Bible consistently, prayer, family devotion, reading a book, meeting with another individual for accountability, Bible study, prayer, church attendance, being in a small group. All of those things reveal to our children and to the next generation what are our priorities in life. They are paying attention to every word and every move that you make. I see it with my children. They, they naturally, if dad is on his phone a lot, guess what they want to do? They want to be on their a device of some sort because they see, well, dad's not doing anything. Well, I don't want to do anything either. And so they'll grab a device. They'll want to do something if I don't engage them. You see, what are our priorities? If you were to look back at a calendar that listed all the things you did with your time just this past week, what would it reveal? What would it show? You see, when I was at Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, this area was, was a very affluent area, um, and, and so it was high education. Most people had had master's degrees and beyond college education and even beyond. And so naturally, I was a student pastor and so I had a lot of students, and so big there was education, and it was what college are you going to get into? You need to get into the best universities and all these things. So naturally, guess what happened? These children were put a lot of pressure on their education. Their education was Almost as if it was supreme, right? Like, sorry, like, I know you got a lot of schoolwork, so don't worry about church this week or next week. Or, I mean, like, hey, listen, focus on this because this is so important. You've got to get into this school and you've got to make these grades so that you can get this scholarship. And, and so the focus was very much on their education. Other parents can go like, man, I want, you know, you, you almost made it big in sports. And so now you're like, all right, I'm going to make sure my son or my daughter makes it big in sports. And so naturally what they do, they have them in every single league possible. And they quickly, all of a sudden, what happens? Man, they want their son. I mean, again, I've, I've seen this through neighbors. I've seen it through other people. And you see it, and, and, and I've seen it from friends when I was in high school as well. Like they get on these travel teams and it's like, all right, push this travel team. And what becomes most important? The travel team, the goal of trying to be the best athlete you can be. But what happens? I'm not going to lie, that was my heart. I wanted to be the best athlete I could be, and that's what I cared about the most when I was in high school, middle school, as an elementary kid, probably at four. That's all I cared about was sports. That was my motivating factor. But guess what happened? When I pitched my last game when I was 22 years old in college, that was it. It was over. 22. What am I going to do with the rest of my life now? Baseball's over kind of thing. It ends. Sports end. Yes, you can play golf and other things ongoing, but like this goal, like let me tell you, with people that pursue this, I mean, it's like tiny, tiny percent. You've got to, I've heard it this way. I think Chipper Jones, Atlanta Braves baseball player, said it this way. You've got to be not only the best player on your team, you need to be the best player on your team in the best conference in your league and in like on the best team in your state to basically be one that's going to maybe make it to the major leagues. Like our goals can be so skewed, and here is what the principle is this. You don't hear uh, the, 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 the um, 
Moses, as he's telling this law, and as they're hearing this law, and as God says, you shall love the Lord God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, you don't hear anything about athletics. You don't hear anything about education. It starts first and foremost with a love for God. But here's the thing. Your kids, if that's what you, you, you want that maybe for your kids, right? I think there's a desire in us to want the best for our kids. And we would probably say the best for our kids is for them to love God. But listen, they're watching you. Do you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might? You see, Archbishop, have no idea how to say his last name, Tillotson, I think, uh, from the 1600s, he said it this way. It's a really, really excellent quote. He said, To give children good instruction and a bad example is but beckoning them, beckoning to them with the head to show them the way to heaven. Give them good instruction with a bad example, he's saying, is but beckoning to them with the head to show them the way to heaven while we take them by the hand and lead them in the way of hell. I want you to hear, like, let that sink in for a second. You can say all you want to about, I want my children to love God. But if the example isn't there, if you are not personally walking with the Lord, most likely that is never, ever going to happen. And here it starts first, before you even begin to teach them diligently, the call is for the people of Israel to proclaim Jesus as one, the Lord as one, and to worship Him alone, and to love Him with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their might. You see, if you want to transfer the faith to the next generation, how are you going to do that with modeling? It starts with first loving your family by first loving God. Secondly is to this, is, and I never do this. I know a lot of Baptist preachers do this, like they're alliteration, so somehow it worked out this week. I don't ever choose to do it this way, but third, the second one is this, is learn from Jesus's example. Learn from Jesus' example. There are many examples in the Bible of Jesus modeling what the disciples were supposed to do. I just want to give you a few of those this morning. Think about this. For one, how did the disciples and how do we learn how to love and serve others? How do we do that? Jesus didn't just tell us to love and serve others. He modeled it. Jesus demonstrated to his disciples the importance of serving others by washing their feet. He didn't say, you need to wash my feet. I'm the King of kings and Lord of lords. I'm the, my name's the beautiful name that's above every name. You don't, I don't need to wash your feet. You need to wash my feet. You should be kissing my feet. You should be serving me all the day long. No, Jesus looks at his disciples and he lowers himself and he humbles himself and he serves them. He explained that he had set an example for them to follow, saying, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. And that's in John 13, 14. You see, we learn from Jesus' example how to love and serve others. Secondly, we learn from Jesus' example on prayer. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus modeled the importance of prayer. He oftentimes spent alone in prayer, and he taught his disciples to pray as well. In Luke 11, 1 through 4, one of the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, and he gave them the Lord's prayer as a model. He didn't just tell them to pray. He showed them how to pray. How are you doing that with your children? Do they see how to love others by your example of following Jesus as your example of loving others, of praying? Do you pray together as a family or is it just kind of a thing that just happens around the dinner table sometimes? 
Not only can we learn from Jesus' example on loving and serving others and praying, we also can learn from His example of teaching. You see, Jesus taught. Jesus spent much of His ministry teaching His disciples and others. He used parables and stories to help them understand spiritual truths. He also modeled how to, listen, he didn't just tell them, hey, share the good news. Like, go and tell people, like the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations. No, what did he do? He modeled it. He modeled how to share the good news of the gospel with others. Specifically, we see that in his interaction with the Samaritan woman at the well. We see it with Lazarus. We see it with the young, rich ruler. We see it over and over again in the gospels. Jesus sharing the gospel with someone, and this is a model to follow. How do we learn? We learn from Jesus' example. How do we teach our children to forgive? Well, from us as adults, we look at Jesus. How did he forgive? You see, Jesus modeled forgiveness when he forgave those who had wronged him, including the soldiers who crucified him. He also taught his disciples to forgive others, and he emphasized the importance of forgiving them. Again, in the Lord's Prayer. You see, what can your children learn from you? I've heard it said this way many times. The best lessons you can teach your life are not by your perfection, but rather by your seeking repentance, by you seeking their forgiveness when you have done wrong. That they learn more through that than you're telling them what to do. But when you humbly come to them and say, Dad was wrong. You know, for me, I, I, like I said earlier, sports still mean a lot to me. I'm not going to lie. I'm still working on my sanctification as well. <laughs> and uh, I was coaching my son in... Um, flag football this season. It was on Sunday evenings, so I just preached a message, you know, and then go on the football field and not put into practice anything that I'd said, you know, that morning. Um, we get on the football field, and then and when Colson, he's, he's really gifted. He's a, he's a great a- athlete. He's a, great, he's a gifted football player, and I, I can sometimes just put too much pressure on him, and I can, I can expect more from him than, than he needs to be expected from. And here he is. He, he made a mistake. He didn't make a good read, and and he just made a poor choice, and he was kind of complaining about it. He comes, comes to me, and I just like, I kind of lashed, I lashed out in anger. Um, and I had to look at him and say, son, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. Like, did it like a play later. Like, I was already eaten up with guilt, and, and my conscience is weighing on me. Here I'm the pastor, and I can't even keep my cool over a silly football game for flag football, and especially with my son. But I have to go to him and say, I'm sorry, I should not have responded that way. I do that as a coach, too, when sometimes it's like, ah, you're yelling at a ref. I looked at the kids in the huddle and said, that's not, guys, that's not how you're supposed to do that. I should have done that. I should have come to him privately and said, that was a ridiculous call, but still. But I should have done it out loud for everyone to hear, right? You know, the point being is that my kid, the team and the kids, they're learning, they're seeing, how do I interact with authority? How do I respond to frustrations? Do I respond with anger? They're observing these things. And this is our model. Jesus is how we learn from his example. How he was so kind. He was gentle. He was forgiving. He was loving. He served. How do we learn to trust in God? We learn it from Jesus. And your kids, how are they going to learn to trust in God? They're going to see the example in you and how you're trusting in God. Think about Jesus. Jesus had complete trust in his Father. Even in the face of great suffering, he modeled this for his disciples when he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. 
He also encouraged his disciples to trust in God's provision and care. Jesus modeled all of these things perfectly for us. He is our example. We're to model Christ. Paul in Ephesians 5 says, imitate Christ. Like we're to be his image bearers. We should be modeling and mirroring Christ to the world. And guess what? As you learn from Jesus' example yourself personally, you're modeling those truths, those, those realities, those aspects of the faith to your children. Can, think about it. How can your children learn to trust God when they see mom and dad relying on the Lord in prayer or saying, None of this makes sense. I don't know why this tragedy is happening. I'm not sure why mom is going through this or dad is going through this or this happened to a relative or that, but we're trusting the Lord. We know that God, and we take scripture to our children and we say, this is what we're believing. Our hearts hurt. Our hearts are crying. We're, we're not sure what we're supposed to do, but we're trusting God. You see, we got to do this with our, our kids through the adoption process. As we were beginning that process, you know what we did every single, almost every, I don't want to say every single night, because I'm sure there might have been a few in there, but almost every night we would get together and we would pray. And we would pray together saying, God, are you going to, you have someone out there for our, for our family. We don't know who that is. We don't know their name. We don't know what they look like, where they're from, all those things. But we're trusting that God is going to lead us to the right person and that we're going to be able to adopt them. And this is going to look crazy. This is going to be a lot of differences in our home. But we're going to trust God through this. I really believe our, our children are learning so much from our lives. How do we respond to adversity? Our kids are watching. How do we learn? We learn from Jesus's example. And thirdly and finally is this, we lean into the gospel. If you want to model Christ in the home, you have to be leaning into the gospel. You see, being a good role model does not mean you're perfect. (laughs) Far, 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 as I was just explaining, far from it in my own life. But it means you are living out the gospel in your daily life. You're living out the gospel. You see, what are some hindrances to your modeling and its effect in the home? Two, Two that come to mind for me are pride and, and, um, and hypocrisy. Your, your kids will quickly, they, they sniff out that like nothing. I mean, they sniff out hypocrisy. They see when dad isn't real. They see when dad might have had a conversation, said this, or he was at church and he had his hands raised, or he was singing, but then he got home and he was yelling. He was upset, he was angry, and he's lashing out. They see right through phoniness. Actually, teenagers are good at this too. I don't know if you know that. I, I worked with teens. They, they see it. They pick up really quickly on fakeness. Hypocrisy and pride. You know, and you know what I mean, right? It's when you tell your children to do something that you five minutes later are do, finding yourself doing. See, pride leads us to think we know it all. Don't have any faults or don't need help. And so pride prevents us from seeking forgiveness. Pride, even though when you lashed out, you kind of just avoid it. You know you weren't right. You know I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have responded that way. I shouldn't have responded to my wife that way or my my husband that way or to my children or to anything. And our kids all saw it. If we never deal with that, if we never go, that it shows our pride. It shows our lack of need for forgiveness and our lack of trust in God. It requires humility. You see, that is what we need in the gospel. The gospel is humbly saying, there is nothing that I could do to earn God's love. There's nothing I could absolutely do. I'm leaning into the gospel. You see, as a parent, that's what we need. We need to be leaning into the gospel. Every day are new opportunities to point your children to a loving redeemer. 
Use that as an opportunity. Even in your discipline, as you discipline your children, help them see the gospel that, yes, they have done wrong and there's punishment for wrong, but the beauty is that God is quick to forgive you of your wrongs. He is quick to forgive sin. And you can remind them of verses like 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us all our sins and to cleanse us of all our unrighteousness. This is the beauty of the gospel. And so that's what our children need to see, is see that, listen, you aren't perfect. You need Jesus. But here's the great thing is God was perfect for you. He took your place. He lived, he, you know, you've disobeyed. But guess what? That needs punishment. And that disobedience leads to eternal death. Remember that eternity aspect I was talking about at the beginning? They have a soul and it's going to live forever. But where is it going to live? It's going to live with Christ in heaven for all of eternity? Or is it going to pay for its sin in all of eternity in a place called hell? This is why we as parents lean into the gospel. I know it's Mother's Day, and I, 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 I'm going to talk about fathers here for a second, but I think every mother <laughs> would want this uh, for their husbands or their fathers. But there was a Swiss study that was done in 2003 Unbelievably, that was 20 years ago. I'm like, 2003 was 20 years ago? Nuts. Makes sense when it's 2023. <laughs> Dual subtraction, you get 2003. But I want you to hear this. This study, they did it on parents in the home and family and a transferring of faith. I want you to hear this. Dads, especially in the room. Men in this room. The way the study went, they, they, they did all of this study on, this, on the home and the transferring of faith from, and looking at, and all they really did was actually church attendance. And I would argue there's a lot more than church attendance. I mean, not, that's what I'm arguing all of today, really, is that it's not just about attending church together as a family. That's, that is a great thing, and that's important to model that in your home, priorities. But there's way more about it all the, every day, the, all the stuff that happens in our day of how we model Christ in our home. But in this Swiss study, listen to this, they, they, they did this study on the father and the mother and their attendance in church and its effect on the children also attending a church as adults. So again, church attendance doesn't save you, so don't mix these things up. But listen to these, this is incredible data. They said this, that it came to the conclusion that both the father and mother, if both the father and mother attended church, 33% of the children in their home end up attending as adults. Not necessarily the same church or anything like that, but attending church. They make church attendance a priority in their life. If both the mother and father attend church. I want you to hear this. Father, if the father is non-practicing, doesn't attend, and the mother is a regular attender with the kids. I know it's Mother's Day, so don't hate me for this one. But fathers are non-practicing and mothers regularly attend. The transferring of faith is 2%. Listen to this. The father is a regular attender and the mother is non-practicing. Listen to this. It's 44%. It's higher than both the father and mother attending. I know, again, I know it's Mother's Day, but, but I think every mother would see this as important with their father. The father's influence in the home is no joke. Your influence as a couple and as a family is so important. But I want you to hear this. This is still only 44%. 
You see, the, the reality is this. The next generation oftentimes don't end up following Jesus. It's what we see in the Bible. It's not just we see it in our own culture. We see it in Scripture. The next generation, as Judges says, they did not know the Lord. Listen, it is so important to model Christ in your home. Listen, if you, if you want to be a godly parent, it starts with you. It doesn't start with teaching. It starts first with loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that he says that I command you today shall be on your heart. Here's my call to you. Is the gospel captured your heart? And it has led you to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. All you need to do is look over the past month. That'll show you your priorities. I can look at my month. I don't say this from a looking down on. I promise you. I look at this with you. I look at my month and I say, how, how often am I investing in my children? We're going to talk about practical ways in the, in the next couple weeks of how to do that. Taking your children to, to lunch or take them to breakfast or take them to get coffee as, even as they get older. Maybe don't do that with your five-year-old. Um, but, but, you know, as, as, as you go, invest. Ask them questions. When you watch a TV show together, how can you apply that to Scripture? Like when you saw sin, did you just kind of watch it and then not really say anything about it? When you watch a television show or when you do something, or when you're just happening in life, do you have conversations? I think my wife is really good about this. Like when, when we're in the car and we see an ambulance, oftentimes it's like, let's, let's stop and let's pray for whoever that person is, is going to be dealt with, who, who's, who needs help, and let's just pray for that person. Or we see a car accident, we're going to pray. Our children are watching these things, but it starts in our heart. We can't fake it. You're, they see through, the, and they see the genuineness of your heart. So it first starts with responding to the gospel personally. And so my question for you this morning, have you trusted in Christ alone for salvation? If not, I beg of you and plead with you, put your hope in Christ. Christ alone. And then look, if you are a follower of Jesus, look, be continuously evaluating your life. Looking, am I modeling Christ to my spouse if I don't have children? If I'm single, am I modeling Christ? Am I genuinely following Christ so that co-workers and others can see my good works and glorify my Father in heaven? Like, this applies to all of us. This applies. Am I walking with the Lord? And I want to end with this. I think this data and seeing it not just in a study from 2003, seeing it in Scripture should lead us to desperate prayer. It should lead us to be praying that God would save our children and protect our children. Man, I neglect this too much. I do. I know I do. I neglect it too much. And it's like, why would I not? If I believe God saves my children, if God will protect my children, if God will lead my children, if God will do this work, that it's apart from me, I can do nothing. When Jesus says, apart from me, I can do nothing. Why would I not go to him in praying for my children and interceding on their behalf? As they go to college, are you begging the Lord, protect them from dangers. Help them to love you with all their hearts. Help them to resist temptation. Help them to pursue you above all else. Go to Him. Lean into the gospel and lean into God and let Him do the work that He only can do. But if you model it first, you're leaps and bounds ahead in seeing that next generation follow the Lord. That's what we see. The principle isn't just 
have your kids in Christian education or, or homeschool or have them in church. It is the whole aspect of your life. Is your life gospel-centered? If not, they'll see right through it. So trust in Christ and let Him be our example. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we thank You for these, this just wonderful passage that we're going to get to dissect and look at over the next several weeks. But Father, I pray for each of our hearts, that our hearts would be transformed by your gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And I believe that for myself. I believe that for all people and our children. And I believe your gospel has power to penetrate their hardened hearts, that it will open it up. But God, I know that naturally, by my own life and by my walk, that greatly influences my children. So Father, forgive us of our pride. Forgive us of our hypocrisy. Forgive us of our lack of doing a lot of these things. I'm sure a lot in this room are probably feeling pretty guilty, feeling down. God, I thank you that the gospel isn't just to leave us in our guilt, but the gospel paves us away and says, you have hope. You can change. You can seek forgiveness. Maybe it's just owning up to it to our children. Man, I have not done a good job in this area, but I'm going to try my best through God's help to do this. God, help us to pray prayers like that and lead out in that way with our children and our families. Help us take responsibility seriously and help us see another generation following the Lord. We pray that for these kids here, Redeemer kids, kids who attend this church, Father, that they would hear the gospel, they would see it modeled by leaders and their own and the people in this church, but also in their own homes. Father, be gracious and kind to these families and draw us near. We thank you And we look to you for help. And we ask all of this in your son's name. Amen.